Do you want me to pray for you first or read first? Okay, sounds good. So I'm going to um, read the text. Welcome to those of you who are joining us online. Hello, virtual listeners, real, real people. Hi, mom and dad, Gordy's mom and dad. Maybe my mom and dad. Hi, Leona. All right. Thank you, Jesus. So I'm reading today from the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Galatia. So we call that letter Galatians, and I'm reading out of chapter 3. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Oh, sorry, that's a different emphasis. Or by believing what you heard. Are you so foolish? After beginning by the means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by the means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing be given to Abraham so that the blessing be given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for what you have been speaking to Gordy through this series and through this book. How your miraculous timing works every time, every time. You just bring such beautiful fruit in our lives, in, the, in our lives as the story of our church here, in the story of our church nationally. We just thank you for what you're doing and what you're doing through Gordy. Thank you for the message that you've given him today. I pray that he would be able to hear you clearly and deliver it just, just as you've given it to him, and that you would open our hearts and open our ears today, that we could hear from you clearly as well, that if there's anything in our way, that you would clear that obstacle now. I ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Joanna. Well, good morning. If I haven't said good morning to you yet, it's a good day. It was supposed to be storming and windy, and we woke up and the sun was shining. 
we continue to defy the odds. So thank you, Scott, for your Facebook. Um, here's Jesus with the children and a few of the Pharisees. And they were all like, I got to work my way to heaven. And I was like, nah, I got you, bro. I like that. <laughs> You're a theologian, buddy. Um, so we're, we're going through a series on the book of Galatians, and we've called it God's Radical Embrace. It's kind of an inspiration that I felt for the title of the series. And, and I, think, I think we heard, I really do, I, I just sense God's life so much on this. Yesterday I, I saw a headline that said something like this in the, in the Sun, the Vancouver Sun, Muslim refugees turned back by peacekeepers. And it was happening in the Central uh, African Republic. And so it caught my attention. I read the first paragraph. It said this, thousands of Muslims who tried to flee the violence in the Central African Republican, uh, Republic's uh, capital were turned away by peacekeepers Friday as crowds of angry Christians shouted, we're going to kill you all. And do you know why the peacekeepers were turning them back? Because there were a bunch of angry Christians in the countryside that were going to ambush them and kill them. So again, it emphasizes and underlines the fact that we have to get the good news right. If we don't get the good news right, bad things start to happen. And Christians start doing some very unchristlike things. And that truly is what it means to take the Lord's name in vain. Now, have, to, to start off, let me ask you this. Have you ever, well, maybe I should put it this way. Think of a time <laughs> where you felt excluded. Okay, maybe it wasn't as, as radical as being shouted at, we're going to kill you. But it might have been more subtle. Have you ever felt dismissed? Let me use that word. How many have ever felt dismissed? Now, you don't need to raise your hand, but just think about it. And when I say dismissed, it's, it could be something you said. It's the body language that someone has towards you. The look in their eye, or the lack thereof, <laughs> right? Um, maybe you felt disregarded, disqualified. How old are you again? What's your degree? What's your experience? That subtle nuance of body language of exclusion. And to what degree... Did you feel it? Now, in the contrast, think of a time when you felt embraced, when you felt welcomed, when you felt received. What was the difference of what you felt? Think about the body language. Think about the eye contact. Think about when you walk through the door and the look in the person's eye that lighted up and their face lighted up and they were happy to see you and you felt like you were valued you felt like you were significant. You know, the, the, the late healing evangelist, Catherine Coleman, and I had the privilege of being in a couple of her meetings. She was quite an eccentric gal, but very powerfully would, would, would speak. And I was in some of the meetings where she would say, well, somebody over here is being healed of cancer, or somebody over here is God's raising you out of a wheelchair. And I, I, it was unbelievable, the, the, the power in her life and ministry. But they say that 
And the thing that most impressed me about this woman is they said that no matter who you were, when you were in, your, in her presence, you felt like you were the most important person in the world. You felt like you were the only person in the world that really mattered to her at that point. I thought, what a statement uh, about someone who had such notoriety. So, I think to... I, I ask you to, to think about those two, two things because I want us to carry that through, through this message this morning. And to help define what I think Paul was getting at in this reading that Joanna read so well, actually. I felt Paul's tone coming through Joanna as she, as she read that. Um, I want to tell you a story about me entering into junior high. And some of you have heard this story before, but it so helped me define and summarize what Paul's wrestling with in this passage. Uh, first of all, junior high in Alberta is different than in BC. Uh, in junior high in Alberta, it's middle school. So what you have is elementary up to grade six, then you have grade seven to nine, and then you have senior high school. And so, you know, in elementary school, you kind of grade six, you're the big fish in the small pond, and you move into a teeny minnow in a giant ocean of junior high. And I remember entering junior high, and all the girls were giants at the time. And it was a very scary experience. And I had a lot of friends entering into junior high, but something happened where all of a sudden this social rupture occurred for me because... I was a Pentecostal kid, and so all the things that Pe Pentecostals are not allowed to do, all my friends started to do socially. Dances, going to movies, parties, little drinking. And so I, I began to feel quite lonely, but my, my uh, backup was sports. And I, had, I was kind of playing hockey up to grade six, and I almost got my face Lost my teeth, so I thought, well, let's try basketball. And I actually was a little bit better in basketball. So sports was kind of the way that a Pentecostal kid could still be social. Um, so you, could tell, you, you can tell the stakes would be quite high emotionally to, to make the team. So I went for tryouts, and my dad had been training me in the gym, and I was actually quite good at basketball for grade 7, but you're grade 7, and you're trying out for the team that... There's a lot of grade nines on the team and giants. And I uh, don't know if Andre the Giant was there, but it's close to it. And so I remember the day that the tryouts were finished uh, where we were going to find out what we make it. And the coach called us into the equipment, this big equipment room. And all these nice team journey jerseys were hanging up on a hanger. And... The coach, one by one, began to call guys' names. And, you know, Fred, Fred came forward, he gave him a jersey. And then Ray, called Ray forward, Ray got a jersey. Sherman, Sherman came forward, got a jersey. Well, he ran out of jerseys. And I remember standing there, and the, the little, little group of us that were uh, hoping to make the team, that's how we found out. We didn't make the team. And uh, it was probably one of the most painful experiences that I had as a young person. And it really had a formative impact on my next 10 to 15 years. It was so powerful. 
It affected my nervous breakdown 15 years later, what happened there, because I made a vow that that would never happen again. I would never be cut again from a team. And that year, I worked my tail off to prepare so that next year I would make the team. And I actually went on to do quite well. But that year was the loneliest year of my life. And there's kind of two reactions that people will have when they feel they can't make the team. One is they, they go into the, the manic mode like I did, which I transferred to ministry <laughs> about 10 years later. I'll explain that over the next, today and next week a little bit. But I, there, there, there's that reaction where you go into that inner vow, I'm, not, I'm never going to lose the cut again, or the opposite where you rebel against that law. You rebel against that standard. You say, screw the team. And you live your life totally in opposite to the, to the team. So one of two things happens, right? Is you either say, by God, I'm going to make it, or screw it all. There's, there's kind of those two, two responses. And this is what happened with the Galatians. The Galatians were actually enjoying being on the team. They had the jersey, but someone came along and said, you didn't make the cut. What are you doing with the jersey? Take that thing off. You're not good enough. You haven't jumped through enough hoops. You don't have the right credentials. You weren't born in the right ethnicity. You're second class. But here's what you have to do to qualify. And so, instead of God's radical embrace, the embrace become, became conditional. And that conditional grace was transferred where you had a caste system and pecking order. And they found themselves working hard to get on a team that God said they were already on. So let's work through the text. Paul says this, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? There's this well-known ad that a lot of you have probably seen these days where a person get, comes near an accident and it's because they're, they're uh, distracted or they're, they're uh, you, you know, kind of thinking about other things than what they're doing. Uh, there's this one where the guy's up on a ladder and, and he almost falls off the ladder and then he goes, what was I thinking? Or the other one where the guy's cutting brushes near the power line and all of a sudden you see all these sparks go off. And he comes to his wife and he goes, what was I thinking? Or the guy that's driving and he almost runs over a kid because he's thinking about a hockey game. What was I thinking? Now this is really embarrassing. But I have a big gash... It's family, right? It's family. I have a pretty healed scar right here. But a couple of weeks ago, I was cleaning out our garburetor. And it, the tap was running, and I was, there was some glass in there. We don't use the garburetor very much. Maybe that's my excuse. We've gone to the green bin. But once in a while, stuff gets in there. So I was, I was cleaning it out, and there was some glass and some plastic. And... And the water was filling up. The tap was going. And so I was cleaning it, and I was distracted. I was thinking about something. And so I went to turn the tap off, and I turned the switch on. And it was unbelievably painful. Just, boosh, I thought I'd, I'd screwed my hand up. And I put some ice on it, put, some, put a bandage on it. I had so much typing to do that day, writing to do that day. 
I was so angry at myself. I was furious with myself. What was I thinking? Well, the Lord had mercy on me. But I think there's something about that. If you look at the Greek definition of this word foolish, that's what it means. It means that you know better. You're distracted by a bewitching. There's a spell that's been cast. I don't, I don't know if this is legend or true. Is there some kind of snake that can bewitch a bird? Catches the eye? Have you, is that just legend? I mean, I, I tried to look it up on Wikipedia, and the only people that were saying that were pastors. So very uncredible. <laughs> Seriously. I don't know if it's true. But the idea is that it's, it's the casting of a spell where you know better, and, but you're not thinking about your actions. But the, the word bewitched literally is a, it's a strange word. It's a combination of slander and defamation with flattery. It's almost like advertising. What do advertisers like to do? You suck, right? They demean you, make you feel insecure, and then they come and say, but if you have our product, you'll rock. Right? That's, what's going, that's the kind of bewitching that Paul is talking about. Somebody came and told him, you don't belong in the team. You suck. Take that uniform off and go our way. Go with your human self-improvement project and then you'll be fine. Jump through our hoops. Paul says, you've been lied to. You've been bewitched. You're not thinking. Don't you realize that Jesus was clearly portrayed as crucified? This is the cure for the spell. This is the cure for the bewitching. As he reminds them, and I, it's, it's a powerful passage here, but he tells them, don't you know that Jesus was portrayed, that word portrayed is literally uh, pr uh, presented on a tablet. It was the way that front page news would be given back in those days. It's like when 9-11 happened. Most of us know where we were. It's like it was so vividly expressed to them that Jesus was crucified. They knew where they were. It was so real. It was like the crucifixion instead of happening in Jerusalem happened right in their, their midst. Paul must have communicated effectively. Maybe the arts were involved. Somehow the, the vividness and the reality of Christ's death on the cross was so real. And Paul said, that's what should have kept you from this spell. Let me ask you this. How else was Christ clearly portrayed as crucified among them? How did that happen? Come on. How do we do it all the time? Communion. That's an act of memory where we keep before us the cross. Maybe they stopped taking communion. Maybe they, their act of memory was diminished. So I'm gonna, I want you to hold that cure for the spell in mind because we're going to come back to it. Uh, because he says, don't you remember that you saw Jesus crucified, rejected, banished, excluded outside the city gate, treated like a piece of crap. That's what Hebrews says. He was put outside the city gate like the crap of the animal sacrifices. He was rejected and excluded so that you could be embraced, so that you're no more foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Then he goes, now he says, now that if somebody's kind of out of their mind, not acting sensibly... 
Paul shows us some pastoral wisdom here. Rather than preaching at them, he keeps asking them questions. And he says, I'd like to learn just... Isn't that great? It's like that book Jesus asked, where the guy says he had this friend when he was a kid that always said, I want to ask you something. And whenever somebody says that to you, you get ready, don't you? You want, all right, bring it on, right? I want to ask you something, right? That's kind of what Paul's saying here. I want to ask you something. I want to ask you this. I want to learn. You've got something to teach me. That'll really get him, right? Teach me something. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? You guys were on the team. You've been given the uniform. Do you remember Cornelius? How many remember the story of Cornelius? Peter walks in. They just had bacon and pancakes. Right? That's what the kids' workers we had last night. Woo! It was good. And, and they're smelling of bacon, and Peter goes, Oh, yo, 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 my mom can see me now. This non kosher house, he was totally ceremonially unclean doing what he did. And he walks in there and he starts preaching. And he's, as he's preaching, the Holy Spirit falls on all these Gentiles. They start speaking in tongues. They hadn't even been, I mean, they were still ceremonially unclean. They hadn't been circumcised. They weren't baptized, so the Catholics thing was, was out. And the Protestants would have really been upset because they hadn't said the sinner's prayer yet or responded to the altar call. God's, all, all they had was Peter so beautifully expressed this, this Peter, not the Peter in the Bible, so beautifully expressed last Sunday, there was just this, this posture that said, yes, God, I, I like what I'm hearing, and God in heaven goes, woohoo, somebody, somebody wants me. And he jumps out of heaven and gives them a hug and gives them a big, sloppy, wet kiss. Poured out his spirit on him. Put the uniform on him. <laughs> yeah. Woo! Love it. So they got the uniform. And so you can figure the Galatians, it probably happened the same way. Put the uniform on them. But they were rowdy, and they still had addictions, and they still had... They were unruly, and some of them probably had more than one spouse. And, you know, it was just... Messy. God said, let's put the uniform on you. They didn't have to jump through any hoops. Peter, Peter preached his heart out, and they just said yes. And God said, whoa. Oh, we'll take care of the baptism later. We'll take care of well, Don't worry about that. Put the uniform on. Handed them the jersey. And then he says, are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the... Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Now that word flesh, there's, there's two words that are often translated flesh in your Bibles. One is the word soma, which means body. And that is not the word here. The word here is sarks. Now the word sarks is, I, I could spend a whole sermon kind of unpacking it, but what it means is basically human effort outside of God's help. That's basically, in a, sum, in a nutshell, what... Uh, Sarks means. It's just human effort. And it's interesting what Paul says later is the work of the flesh. Here it's them trying to be good enough, but a little bit later he says human effort without God's help ends up in pride, ambition, sexual immorality, fighting. That's where you end up. Right? So he says 
Are, having begun by the Spirit, God put the uniform. Are you, are you now going to take your uniform off and now try to earn your way to get the uniform back on? That's ridiculous. Oy, 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 oy. What are you doing? Come on. I think Paul was in Italy a lot. Come on. Spend some time in Rome. They drive with their hands. Come on. Right? How many... How many of this could be true of us? How many movements, denominations, churches, Salvation Army, Pentecostal, Mennonites, Methodists, Vineyard, where Paul would say, you began in the spirit, now you're going to finish by human effort? How about you, you and me? I remember after my couple years in, you know, manic basketball, and I, be, I became a high scorer, we, we did well, but by grade 11 in high school, I was so sick of myself, I was so self-centered, I, I, I didn't know how to be a team player. And I remember God just miraculously came into my heart in, in my bedroom reading the love chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And for the first time, maybe in my life, I felt, I have the uniform on. Jesus loves me. He really loves me, and he likes me too. Yeah. And I remember that. It was, like a it was like a romance, honeymoon period for a number of years where I was so in love with God because I, I knew he was in love with me and I just found people easy to love. And then I got involved in ministry. And you know what? That whole system came back about making the cut. You know, if, you're, if Jesus really loves you, you'll have a big youth group. If Jesus really loves you, you'll have, you know, you'll have all of the outward external forms of success. And if, and, and if, and if, and if you don't, then there's something wrong with you. You've got to start jumping through some hoops. And I got back into that system. That's what ended up my nervous breakdown. And I spent it a year, spent a year or two on the dark side of eternity because of that. Because when you try to live by the law, it's a curse. So, um, that's, there's just something that gets me. I see that Olympic motto they have, and I love the Olympics. I'm enjoying them. But there's that thing that goes stronger, higher, faster. Have you seen that one? And something inside of me goes... <laughs> <laughs> Out! Right? So, have you experienced so much in vain? He says. Listen, you guys, every, don't you remember when you started in the spirit, everybody got to play? Not only the Jews, but the Gentiles. Not only the wealthy, but the poor. Not only the men, but the women. Not only the adults, but the children. Not only the straight, but the gay. Everybody got to play. But now you've qualified the embrace. And now not everybody gets to play anymore. What's happening? Have you experienced so much if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and works miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? To use a sports analogy, instead of trying to get on the team, your struggles have gotten you into the championships. They were, they were in the playoffs. Their, their suffering was about the Stanley Cup final. But now he's saying you're, you're struggling to get on the team? Doesn't make sense. that you're in the playoffs and you think you're not on the team. 
Yeah? That doesn't make sense. The Gretzky of all Jews. <laughs> Following through on this sports analogy. I know there's a lot of pain in the Vancouver area over Gretzky. A lot of healing needed. But Gretzky, of course, is one of the greatest hockey players of all time. And the Jews kind of prided themselves as being children of Abraham. So he was kind of the Gretzky. These were children of Abraham. So Paul says, okay, well, let's talk about Abraham a little bit. Don't you know that he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness? He got the uniform before he got any, he kept any rules or got circumcised. He got the uniform. And he reminds us that, remember Paul, remember Abraham was once not a Jew. He was a Gentile. He was a goyim. There was a point in his life where he heard the voice of God and he responded in obedience to the voice of God. And the Lord said, leave your country, leave your, your father's house, and go to a land I will show you and I'll make you a great nation, a father of many nations, in fact. And it was here that Paul said that Abraham was given the good news that God wanted to embrace the world. So he said to Abraham, I'm going to make you special so that you can show everybody else they're special too. I'm going to embrace the world through you. What a privilege. So Abraham left with his wife, and they were already older than me at that time. That's encouraging, isn't it, honey? Yeah. Bless, <laughs> blessed be to God. Postpone that Viagra. Anyway, so... <sighs> So Abraham went with his wife, Sarah, and he reached 75 years old, 85 years old, 95 years old. He's supposed to be the father of many nations. Still no kids. And he began to despair. And he said, Lord, is this, did I, did I, was I delusional? Did I really hear you? And Yahweh says to him, God says, Abraham, go outside and look up at the night sky. So he went out, and here's what he saw. And he looked up, and he said, Abraham, I want you to count the stars. And, uh, sorry, it's a lot more clear on my screen. Um, but imagine the stars. And so he looks at the sheer expanse of God's embrace represented to him by the stars. And I don't know what happened in Abraham. I don't understand it. But there was something about physically going out, looking up the stars. It says, and he believed God. And God said, I'm going to wire righteousness to your account. You ever had money wired to your bank account? Money you didn't have, somebody wired it to your account. God took righteousness. He took the uniform. He said, Abraham, here's the uniform. It was counted to him as righteousness. But it wasn't just getting on the team. What was wired to his account and what's wired to your and my account, when we just say yes, is not only making the team, but all that we need to get in the playoffs and win the title. To finish the race. It's all wired so that we don't only just start, we finish 
The same way we started. Abraham hadn't been circumcised yet. He hadn't, he hadn't had any laws given to him. He just said, yes, God. Yes. He had the jersey. And seeing those stars helped his faith. But what's the alternative to this? Paul says, well, if we try to do the, make, the, make the grade route and we try to avoid the cut, it's a curse. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. It is written, cursed is everyone who, who does not continue. In other words, we set ourselves up for exclusion. We set ourselves up for rejection. We set ourselves up for marginalizing ourselves, disqualifying ourselves, and we start doing that to others. And we start being like religions through history who thought they were doing God a service by killing people, marginalizing them, putting them in residential schools, <coughs> categorizing based on the, the, the flesh, external things, instead of embrace, inclusion, belonging. And so we start building our case in what we can or can't do instead of on faith. In other words, building my case on what Christ has done and continues to do through me. So he, Paul says, you, you think being Jewish is special? He says, I'll tell you what. We suck. We need help as much as you do. We're all under the curse. We've, we've, you, you blew it outside the law. We blew it under the law. We need grace. And then he finishes with these majestic words. Just sweetest words. No sweeter words have ever been written. We've sung about it already in our worship. He said this, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of exclusion that comes from trying to make the team. He's redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. So that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. O wondrous love divine, no sweeter words. So many sermons have been preached on this. There was only one person who made the team by his performance. There was only one person who made the cut, who never broke the law, and that was Jesus. And he was included and embraced by the Father. But because we went the law route, when we saw him, out of our own brokenness, our place of rejection and exclusion, and feeling disqualified, feeling dismissed. You ever felt dismissed? Ever felt disrespected? Dissed, as the kids like to say. Diminished. Dest, dest, dest. What do you do when that happens? Well, you're a human being in the likeness of God, the image of God. Something inside of you goes, that's not right. I'm in the image of God. I carry the glory of God. So when that happens, when you're dissed, and you don't understand God's embrace, you react, you lash out. You react in various ways. You either try to measure up and make, make the cut, or you react against it in anger. So we rejected Jesus. We struck out, lashed out at him. Nailed him to the cross. 
And the father said that in taking the curse undeserved, he kept on hugging, he kept on embracing, he kept reaching out to us. And when we see that blood and that mangled body, it reminds us of the curse of our rejection that's on him. And when we open our hearts to that love, that curse is removed and placed on him. And the blessing and the righteousness and the holiness of the people of God is credited to our account. It's ours. We get the uniform. Hallelujah. We get the uniform. And the Lord offers that to us today. And so, to sum up, I just want to say this. Continually and intentionally holding the cross is such an important key to breaking that spell, that bewitching spell of legalism. It's amazing as I was doing reading the commentaries on this verse, how many use that idea of bewitching with regards to sin? Oh, you got to watch out for, you know, the pleasures of the world and lust. And... That's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about that subtle... I'm not saying it doesn't lead to those things. I think it does. I think all unrighteousness is led to through self-righteousness. I think when we start... Trying to do it on our own, to try to make the cut, it just opens the door to our brokenness taking over because we're on our own. And so Jesus, I've said this before, he's way more happy with me when I've blown it completely and I'm flat on my face crying out to him for mercy than me strutting around in my self-righteousness thinking how holy I am because I spent three hours in prayer today. And that's happened over and over again for me. Because those things run deep. So continually and intentionally holding the cross in view breaks the spell of exclusion and frees us to receive and extend the sheer expanse of God's grace. So I, I think it's important that we really come back to the communion table a lot and we remind ourselves. And I encourage us to do that in our small groups this week, just to, as, a, as an act of reminder. Don't wait till the first of the month when we do it as a church. But just as a reminder, Christ was cursed so that you could receive Gloria, the blessing of Abraham. That blessing is to bless you and make you a blessing to all the families of the earth. A conduit of God's embrace. Is there anything more fun? I mean, what a life. Well, I have a dear friend from the UK. I, I should tell you, talking about embrace, one of the greatest experiences of embrace we ever had was after my nervous breakdown. We had been traveling uh, in the UK and came back to Canada. And uh, the nervous breakdown happened, and we tried to make it work here for about a year. And I just, I was just in too many circles where I was known as in my old identity, and I felt like God was doing something new. And I just needed to get into solitude and solitary confinement. That's what I needed. And this beautiful little group of churches in England opened up their doors. And they worked like mad. They, they, they renovated this house. They knew we were wussy Canadians, so they put, put the insulation in the walls. <laughs> and, uh, and just... Did this house up, and I remember arriving from the UK, uh, from Canada, with our family, and they they got a car for us, put us in this four-bedroom house in the English countryside, put our kids in school, 
And they said, we want you to come and just be. Just do nothing until you get better. You know, go visit at churches that were built in the 1100s and the Roman ruins and study church history. Take your wife for walks. I walked my little girl, six, seven years old, to school. Hadn't been able to do that for the years prior. Too busy serving God. It was just incredible. It's a couple years. And I remember walking into that house. They had a stew on on the stove. And the walls, I just, Kathleen and I just wept, held each other. The walls were saying, you are loved. You're loved. You're loved. And we just made some wonderful friends. There's a young man that we met there. Uh, don't have time to convey his story. My dream would be that he'd one day be here and tell you his story journey of unbelievable pain and brokenness. And we walked in that same journey together for a while. And uh, his name is Jess Humphreys. And uh, he wrote a song and just posted it yesterday. And it so touched me. And it so is what I feel the Lord is saying. And I feel like the Lord wants to embrace you through this song. I don't know if you're going to see the video very well, but it's it's okay, it's mostly important that you hear the song. And it's the story of his, his journey back into the Father's embrace. And uh, so I'm going to play that for you. And, and my word to you is, wherever you're at, let your yes be. Just let the Father embrace you uh, as we play this song. Your back is what I deserve 
I deserve your back, but you're not turning. My heart is burning. Yeah. I love the way that he portrays um, beginning in solitude in his journey back to the Father, and as he journeys on, around him comes community. And so the Lord says to you today, by his grace, here's the uniform. You're on the team. Enjoy the game. Enjoy the journey. Enjoy the ride. Psalm 26.3 struck me this week. Uh, where David said, I have always been mindful of your unfailing love and have lived in reliance on your faithfulness. Listen to that very carefully, two aspects of that. I have always been mindful of your unfailing love. You foolish Galatians, be mindful. Don't lose your head. His love never fails. Never fails. And I've lived in reliance on your faithfulness. True saving faith is not another item on your to-do list, as Peter said last week. True saving faith is even when you don't feel like you have any faith, he's got all the faith you need. So just trust in his faithfulness. And I just feel some of you just need a big hug today. 
The Lord wants to hug you. He wants to embrace you. You say, well, I'm not the hugging type. Well, I know. I know there's often wounds and reasons behind that. The least not being sometimes we were touched inappropriately. And that causes pain. So I understand. The Father touches you and I in our deepest places. And he's safe. And he, wants to, he wants to extend that embrace through us. So we're going to allow him to do that. So Holy Spirit, we just invite you. You are the one that verifies that we have the uniform, your presence, your power, your life. Lord, would you come? And I pray for those who've either... I pray first of all for those who've been in rebellion to the team. They've kind of just said, screw that because that's not me and, and, and I'm not going that, that way. I'm going to be me. And Lord, there's those of us that have just tried the, the opposite and that's to do everything in our power to try to prove that we're on the team. And Lord, to both of us, you're just saying, you're, you're, here's the uniform. You belong. Just Everybody gets to play. If you'll just receive it, just receive my embrace. I'm not going to force you to hug me. I'm not going to force you to hug me back. My arms are open and I'm going to give you space. Because you are a human being created in the image of God and I respect and honor you as my highest creation. So Holy Spirit, regardless of which way we've tended to veer, I pray for all of us that you'd bring fresh healing and restoration and restore the honeymoon if we've lost it, if we've begun in the Spirit and now trying to be made finished by our human effort. Come and renew the honeymoon. Renew our love. I just feel over the last couple of weeks there's been this thing percolating and I don't know if it's fully formed yet but hopefully it makes sense to somebody here. Um, uh, Just a real sense of almost an intervention that God wants to do this morning. Um... There's someone here needs to, needs to be rescued. And um, yesterday, when I was preparing to go to the kids' meeting, I was making dinner for my kids, and suddenly I heard this giant sound going, This is the police. Come out with your hands up. <laughs> and so we all ran to the door and going, What's going on? And in front of my house were six SWAT guys with, like, SWAT guys with the guns and everything going to, my, not my neighbor's house, but the neighbor's neighbor. So two doors away from us, and they, there's the big trucks, and he was like, you know, <laughs> just kind of thinking, I want to watch, but are we safe? Like, what's going on? <laughs> and I don't know what's going on, so it's a different story, but as I was driving to the um, thing at Gordy's last night, I was thinking, you know, the natural things speak of the invisible. So, God, what are you doing? And then this morning we're singing these songs, and these are some of the phrases that come out, but just um, defender of the weak, our strong deliverer. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from your hand. Your wounds paid my ransom. So like these kind of like, this idea, and I guess the picture in my head is that, and maybe from what Gordy was saying too, and hopefully you can 
this makes sense, is that maybe you are that person who came to know God, but since then, some things have happened in your life, either by choice or because they've happened to you. And you are in this house and you're alone. And you've heard the big voice. And it's calling you and telling you to come out. And you are petrified. (laughs) Because you know what's on the other side of the door. And you're so afraid. But what you don't realize is that he's not there to take you out. He's come to take you out of the house that you have built around you that has kept you alone afraid and he's not there to get you with your gun with his gun he's just there to come and save you so I don't know like if anyone here feels that way but I just wanted above all for you to hear the invitation this morning that you are so And that's it. You're just so loved. Don't worry about what it's going to look like if you come out. But the last word of that song was, I surrender. And I just feel like that's all you've got to do is just surrender. And God will take care of all the rest. And what might surprise you is that it's not actually horrible. (laughs) It's beautiful. Yeah, so good. So we're just going to be a a healing family here today. And if you just want to sit in your chair, uh, remember Peter's altar call in Cornelius' house. Uh, Just the Holy Spirit came on them. So we believe he's here. He's all over this room. That everybody gets to play. So... Uh, encourage you to pray with each other if these words have spoken to you or something in the message the Lord has just put his finger on something that you'd like we really value in the vineyard uh, just getting prayer for these things don't, don't kind of push it under and, and smooth it over let, let the Lord go deeper through prayer through ministry of the Holy Spirit so if you're not sure who to ask to pray for you just kind of come around the front and one of us will, will be sure to pray with you Um, But again, I I just hear the words for this time. Everybody gets to play. Everybody gets to play. And if you have kids and you need to go get them, you could bring them back up here and they get to play too. They get to dance and splash in the fountain of the Holy Spirit here. So may the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Bye, Bye, sweetie. (laughs) God bless you.